0: Hello and welcome to this episode of Unvarnished. Unvarnished is a podcast that brings you live stories and the stories behind the stories. We love to interview our storytellers to hear more about their experience of telling their story live on our stage and also to learn more about their lives and uh, how they feel about their story. Unvarnished is a collaborative effort between WUFT News and Guts and Glory GNV, a live storytelling organization in Gainesville, Florida. I'm Taylor Williams, the creative director of Guts and Glory GNV and your host for today and all of the Unvarnished podcasts, for better or worse. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Today we have in the booth with us Karen Johnson, um, who not only has turned out to be a remarkable storyteller, but is also a friend and um it's really a pleasure to have her with us uh thanks for being here karen i'm delighted to be here taylor thank you yeah having you back again (laughs) and uh and there's more to be you know more to come from your storytelling which we're excited about so what we're going to do um is we're going to jump into karen's story and then we'll interview her on uh, the back end of her story so just for a little context karen was in our October show at the end of October, which was called "Coming Out Stories," and it was on. It was at the end of um, Pride Week here in Gainesville, and at the end of a long celebration, and also right before uh, midterm elections. So there were all kinds of things going on in Gainesville. Um, we had one of our biggest crowds, biggest and most supportive, like beautifully loving excited crowds absolutely right at the coming out um show. And so we will have more of those uh, to come every October at the the very least. So that's exciting. Um, And it was really cool to have you a part of that first cast.
1: Yeah, it was it was really fun. That was my first storytelling experience. And it couldn't have been more positive. So
0: that's so cool. And you you couldn't tell, by the way, no pressure. (laughs) You really couldn't tell. So Karen, um, let's hear your story. And then we'll talk with you a little bit about you and it. Okay, great. Sure.
1: My name is Karen, and I am an adult-onset lesbian. Well, eh, we all know that that's not biologically true, but it really is in terms of my conscious awareness. I lived the first 34 years of my life focusing on my career and friends and occasionally despairing about why I had never really had a serious romantic relationship. I was living and working in small-town Texas in the late 1980s when it finally hit me that the Rosetta Stone to understanding my past was probably that I was a lesbian. Keep in mind, though, that this was 10 years before Ellen came out on TV, and almost 20 years before Brokeback Mountain became the first mainstream movie to show a loving depiction of gay sex. All of my Texas friends were straight, and while they would have been very supportive, most of them were rational engineers, scientists, and finance types like me. To this day, I have a local friend who calls me Spock sometimes. Given the times and being a practical and rational person, I got myself to a therapist and I spent the next year or so dating men like crazy, trying to prove to myself that it simply wasn't true. In 1989, I moved to Gainesville to be the assistant city manager. As assistant, I helped prepare the city's budget, I was management's representative in negotiating union contracts, I gave presentations to the city commission, and just a lot of other administrative stuff. I also thought on the back of my mind that Gainesville would provide an opportunity for me to explore my sexual orientation. But again, remember that this was almost 30 years ago, and Gainesville was still a difficult place for gays and lesbians. Just as one example, um, the United Church of Gainesville, which many folks know, um, now expressly robustly includes people of all sexual orientations, gender identities, and expression, UCG had not yet even begun their three-year process of discernment to become an open and affirming church. And when the congregation voted to do so in 1992, they both lost and gained members as a result. In that milieu, um, the lesbian subculture here in Gainesville at this time perhaps uh, known more affectionately as the women's community, had at least a couple of different subgroups. Many people who were in mainstream positions like me were very closeted and you had to be practically a CIA operative with a secret decoder ring to access that network. As a newcomer, both to Gainesville and to my sexual orientation, that group was difficult to find and impossible to crack. And even though, as I look back, I think it's funny now, the part of the subculture that was available to me was often mystifying and occasionally borderline terrifying. It was like traveling to a foreign country where I knew nothing about the culture or customs and barely spoke the language. I can remember going to a commitment ceremony at a farm out east of Melrose where the guests, all women of course, were in a field in a big circle. The two brides were in the center, and they were absolutely freaking butt naked as jaybirds. This this was certainly unlike any heterosexual destination wedding I had ever previously attended. I was at a campfire one evening, and you know, I was thinking like s'mores and kumbaya and all of that, and then all of a sudden people started chanting and someone tried to hand me a tom-tom for the drum circle. Now, people who know me know that I I just really am not a chanter. But all I could think to say was, thanks, but I've been trying to quit. For the first time in my life, I met people who actually believe that it matters if mercury is in retrograde. And I was at a dinner party one evening where everyone but me was talking about their past lives as if they were real, literal and knowable. I mean, I could not have felt more isolated if I had been with a group of evangelical Christians who were talking about their future lives after the rapture. I mean, really? I was having enough trouble trying to figure out my one life and I surely did not need to be spending any head time thinking about other ones. There was absolutely nothing in my daily reading of the Wall Street Journal that had prepared me for any of this. Then, on June 1, 1992, the feeling of normalcy in my professional world was shattered. The Alachua County Commission was considering including sexual orientation as a protected class in their human rights ordinance. Cortland Collier, a longtime city commissioner, was having his Anita Bryant moment, and he became concerned that they were advancing the homosexual agenda. He prepared a resolution for consideration by the city commission to oppose the change. And the rationale for it was basically that if Alachua County chose to include sexual orientation as a protected class, it was kind of like the gateway drug to protecting other sexual interests, such as pedophilia, bestiality, and necrophilia. I cried tears of disbelief when the resolution passed by a 3-2 to vote. And this horrible statement became the official adopted policy of the city of Gainesville. Commissioners Paula Delaney and Rodney Long dissented, but I was staggered by the fact that three other elected officials with whom I worked almost every day harbored these deep prejudices and misunderstandings, perhaps even hatred about our community. That made me even more fearful and closeted. The big idea of moving to Gainesville and becoming a whole and integrated person really wasn't working out too well for me. Career-wise, I had moved over to be the assistant general manager of GRU, still a city employee but on the other side of the house. Meanwhile, the city manager and his leadership team were dying deaths by a thousand cuts of their own making, with administrative chaos, travel scandals, a joint had been found in the ashtray of the city manager's car, just a variety of other professional incompetence and ethical lapses. Some city commissioners started making discreet inquiries through my boss at GRU to find out if I would be willing to come back and be the interim city manager if they fired the current one. This really put me in a dilemma. I mean, these were the same people who had voted for the bestiality and necrophilia resolution. And it is one thing to be an unknown, invisible staff member of the utility where, in contrast to the cheers bar, nobody knows your name, but another whole matter to be highly closeted in a public position like the city manager. But as I looked at the situation, I realized that the city commission also had a big dilemma. The liberals and the conservatives both wanted an end to the almost daily embarrassing headlines that were a distraction from getting anything of substance done. They really needed a calm and logical Spock to come in from the outside and to bring some order to the turmoil. Nonetheless, I also realized that the only way for me to inoculate myself from my sexual orientation being used against me was to come out to each city commissioner before they considered appointing me. That way, if it ever became controversial, they would have voted for me willingly and knowingly. It felt risky, but it also had the potential of allowing me to make a major leap leap in bringing some integration to my life. And so I did. Paula Delaney just smiled, shrugged, and said, let's talk about the job that needs to be done. Rodney Long poignantly told me that his religious training had taught him that homosexuality was wrong, but he believed in equality and he would support me as city manager. I had a hilarious conversation with one of the commissioners who had supported the bestiality resolution. He squirmed and fidgeted during the entire time, and it would have been absolutely impossible for his lips to form the L word. But he said fine. And I saved Cortland Collier to last. His immediate response to me was wooden and without affect, and he said, I do not think that your sexual preference has anything to do with a job. And then he leaned in, and he added with emphasis, as long as you do not proselytize. At that point in my life, I really did not need any more toaster ovens, so that was not a deal breaker. And in case you didn't understand that, toaster ovens are the traditional bonus premium for winners of the lesbian recruitment drive. (laughs) I woke up on the morning of February 28, 1994, as the unknown closeted assistant general manager for GRU, and I went to bed that night as the interim city manager for Gainesville, who had outed myself to the city commission. I stayed on as the interim city manager for about 15 months. By that time, Cortland Collier had left the city commission, and they unanimously invited me to stay on as the permanent city manager, as if there is such a thing. But that kind of visibility just is not in my DNA, so I eventually returned to my position at GRU. As more and more of us came out, we became less threatening as people realized that for many of us the only homosexual agenda was to live as ordinary a life as our parents did without being hassled about it. Within a few years, yet more new elected officials, um, the city commission added sexual orientation to the city's anti-discrimination ordinance and offered domestic partner benefits to city employees. Subsequently throughout the years there have been more changes and both officially and practically Gainesville has become the more LGBTQ-friendly place that we all know today. And yet I think we also all know that there is much work to be done and not just for the LGBTQ community. It is my fervent hope that someday we can create a world where marginalized people of all kinds can come out, be their authentic best selves, and truly live long and prosper.
0: It's so fun to hear it again. Yeah. I think when I heard it live in the in the storytelling show, I was so just overwhelmed and kind of it was as if I had never heard it before. We had done the read through. I had read you know, drafts of it, but I was just so overcome. I think because it's so powerful to hear the way that you delivered it and then also to see how the audience was reacting to you.
1: Yeah, it, it was way different with an audience. I mean, just <laughs> yeah. you know, you really have to stop and give them a chance to kind of catch up or if they're laughing or whatever. And some things that I didn't know would be funny were funny. And, exactly. You know, right. you know, the whole bit. And so, you right. You know,
0: yeah, you to, you don't totally know the things that you might even intend to be funny or to be serious. People take the opposite way. It's interesting, yeah, right? Yeah,
1: it is. It really is. An audience is an animal all of its own. So. Uh, yeah,
0: absolutely. Yeah, that's something I've definitely learned. And I think when you were – so you closed our show, Karen, and when you were done, there was almost like this energy that kind of erupted where people just got out of their seats. I mean, it was like a um, standing ovation that I think – I mean, it was – we had a long standing ovation after that show, and I think what was so beautiful about that is like we want to be, we want to produce great shows, right? But this had this amazing content to it that was much deeper. People were standing up for a different reason, I think, in that show.
1: Yeah, I think so too. I had um, there were a number of friends that came, um, and and some some had you know great exposure to the lesbian community or whatever and some not so much and and the ones that had not had nearly so much exposure um you know they really just they told me afterwards how how much it touched them and how Mm. they really understood things they had never understood before and all and so i think it had a had a big impact
0: yeah for sure the and the other experience i had of that was we had a lot of young people at this show, which we don't always, depending on the theme, or but we had our largest number of um, students and, and younger patrons at this show, and I think that they were very much blown away. And um, we had people actually write uh, so, uh, Guts and Glory after the show, being interested in future shows and pitching their own story, I think because they saw the power you know, even regardless of the theme, they saw the power in it. So it was just so cool how it, this show reached people in a very specific, huh, powerful way. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and like you said, there were, there was, I think there was a lot of the LGBTQ community at this show, but there were a lot of allies. And then also people who were at the show because they purely love storytelling. So it was kind of an opportunity to reach a lot of different people. Um, it was It was just something kind of magical. And, and different.
1: Yeah, I, I I really enjoyed it. Like I said, I'll, it'll be hard to top that first storytelling experience. So. Sure.
0: Well, I'm <laughs> glad that you felt that way mm-hmm. too. And what's funny to reflect back on with with us, Karen, is that when I asked you about this show because of other conversations we'd had, you know, about other shows, and by the way, your huge involvement in the Mommy Read show, Arume, <laughs> yeah, right. you know, thats its own thing. Um, you were sort of like, well, I don't know if I really, I don't know how relevant my story is. (laughs) And then you had this gem waiting in the wings, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was well. It, you know, it's 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 kind of old. Uh, you know, I mean, a lot of the history is 25 and 30 years ago. But I think maybe sometimes it's good for people to understand how far we've come in a relatively short period of time. Absolutely. Uh, you know, and and kind of what it was like before we had even the the support of the the media and all of that kind of thing. I mean, it was it was and and also, I mean, back then we didn't have the internet, and so it was right. it was much much harder to. You felt much. more, more isolated and it was much harder to reach other like-minded people.
0: That's right. Yeah. And it really puts things in perspective about how different things are now. And also, like you said, that it wasn't that long ago. I right. mean, that's what blew my mind, partly like growing up in Gainesville and knowing some of those names and thinking like, geez, when Karen moved here, you know, I think I was in kindergarten and like life was happening. And I I was totally I didn't know that any of this was going on. So it was really healthy for me to get that perspective. And, um, you know, like when you're speaking to that history, it's the history interwoven into your very intimate, your own personal history, right? And so for someone to hear this story, like, oh, my gosh, Karen, how did you manage this? Whereas, like, you seem to have this perspective that it's been some time and you're very confident in this story, And it just sounds like it was so difficult, but like you
1: did it, you feel like a hero.
0: (laughs) I don't know if you think of yourself as a hero, but
1: it feels that way. Oh well, that's really sweet of you to say. Um, You know, it was. I was. I was really finding my way then, and 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 it was scary. I mean, because you know, and and to this day, I mean, in Gainesville, the city commission has passed. Legisl or ordinances that that protect on discrimination and housing and employment and all that for the LGBTq community. but in the state of Florida as a whole there's there's many places where you can be fired or kicked out of your apartment or whatever for um your sexual orientation and back then we didn't even have those those basic protections and so yeah. it, you know it was it, it was scary. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, when I look back I think of of for me anyway, there were uh, there were a number of just really critical events. I mean, in, in 92 was when I came out to my family, which was, which, which was really good because they were supportive. And that was also the year that UCG became open and affirming. And so there was a, a community there that was you know, clearly intentional about being supportive of the, of the gay and lesbian community. And so that was, that was really important. And then in the late 90s, when the city commission adopted domestic partner benefits, that was really important because, you know, I, I was with my, my partner and now wife, Anne then. And so to finally be able to include her on my health insurance and, you know, when one yeah. of her parents died, to be able to get bereavement leave and all of that was, was really, um, really a big step and a big, a huge relief. And then and then, sure. and then the, I guess the final really big event was certainly just a few years ago, but when uh, the Obergefell I can never say it Obergefell or Geffel decision anyway. So you're right. whatever the yeah. the uh, 2015 <laughs> when they um, uh, approved uh, the Supreme Court uh, approved gay marriage, um, same sex marriage. You know, and then you'd be amazed. I mean, wh- how many hoops we had to jump through before then. Um, to just, I I mean, basically you got, there's so many, like just dozens of benefits that accrue to people if you have the legal protection of marriage. Sure. I mean, you know, tax-wise, I mean, inheritance-wise, I mean, there's big things like those. And then there's also just little things you never think about. I mean, prior to being married, when Ann and I would go to rent a car, um, because we weren't considered to be related, um, we would have to pay $10 a day extra if each of us if we wanted each to be able to to, to drive the car and and right. th- and now right. when now when we're married, then we can do it all for the right. same price you know <laughs> right. I mean so <laughs> exactly. you know and, and so it rain you know there's just a huge range from really big things to really trivial things, and so those were yeah. all huge events, each one that that really took a big load off my mind, I guess throughout the years
0: right and it's so interesting to look at all of those things as different um institutions that are in our society and our culture that are taken totally differently, you Mm -hmm. know, sometimes given, given the people, given the place, given the time. Right. And uh, yeah, absolutely. And so when you talk about your uh, fantastic, Anne is such a beautiful person. And uh, so now your wife, like you said, coming out to your family was a very positive experience, whereas... Um, your experience in more of a work environment was obviously very scary. Anne's um, Anne's coming out experience was different.
1: Yeah, she's, um, she's even, uh, I, I just turned 65, but she's, um, actually about 10 years older than I am. And so, and she came out at a much younger age. Yeah, she, she came out when she was at Ohio State, um, and studying, um, just in her undergraduate. and. She almost got kicked out of school um, for at, at that point in the right. game, and they insisted that she uh, go to counseling, you know, to try to talk her out of it, I guess. and of course, it caused all kinds of trauma in her family and all. And so mm-hmm. yeah, she had a b- becoming out younger, she had a much um, a much more difficult experience than in an earlier time.
0: Right, and um, at that time, was it called the same, like, conversion therapy? Was that what it was considered, or at, at that yeah, stage of the game, was it different? Yeah, yeah, she.
1: I think I don't think she got sent to something. I, I always think of the conversion therapy somewhat. As, sometimes it has more religious connotations, but, but yeah, it, right, I, right. I guess it doesn't necessarily have to have those connotations. I think she just got sent to... To sort of straight up therapy, but um, talk her out
0: of it yeah, in some right. kind of way therapeutically. Obviously,
1: obviously, it didn't take. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we're
0: we're glad she made it through. Right, not not, not unscathed as it turned out, <laughs> right. but yeah, it, it didn't take. Thank you for putting it that way. Um, you know, and and on that same note, you had also explained to me that. Um, you know, you I think you said this at the read through too that you and Ann now reflect um and also with some of your friends that a lot of the pain could have been avoided if there were more role models in the community who were out and felt open to being able to share openly like you used the example in your story of Ellen. Yeah. You know, it's like once Ellen came out like the some well, I don't know. Maybe that's the wrong perception, but it seemed like the floodgates opened more than they were before. So oh, absolutely. Like, you know, and um, and that changes like that will make big changes more like societally. But yeah, tell us a little bit about
1: what role models you felt that you did or didn't have, or you know, yeah, tell I mean, about that basic, basically, um, that I mean they didn't they didn't exist. Uh, you know, you yeah. you didn't you didn't have them in terms of. Um, educational institution. You didn't have them, and certainly, in religious institutions. Right. I mean, um, and I mean, it just wasn't anything that anybody talked about, you know, or, or whatever. And so, um, I mean, I can, I can remember as... Obviously, I kind of suppressed my my sexual orientation or whatever for a long time. I was until into my 30s until I really allowed myself to totally admit it to myself. But, but I mean, I can remember... Um, you know, being a young child, um, eight or ten or twelve, and and you're you're somehow sensing that you're different than the than the other kids. You're not having the same crushes on boys, and you know, in my case, I wasn't going ape over the Beatles or you know, I right. mean, all, all the things that <laughs> were awesome. yeah. that were happening then um, for other people and. And yet, you don't really have anybody to help guide you on your journey. Yeah, and it's uh, and it's really you know can be a very it was at the time of a very lonely and befuddling situation as 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 a kid. You know? Sure,
0: sure. Um, and th- that was another thing that came out in the read through too, is that people were sharing their experience of knowing very early, but usually coming out a bit later, um, and but also feeling that it had to be. Um, that there's also a moment where you come out to yourself, right? Exactly, you know, and that's a, exactly. The, kind of the first step. Or someone, sug- you know, that um, and then that maybe maybe next it's your family, but sometimes because that's so close, that can be the hardest thing to do, you know. But coming out to the self as the first,
1: yeah, step. Uh, yeah. yeah, oh yeah, you have you have to come to grips with it yourself. And and like I said, f- for me, it, it was ironic. I I was I was living in Texas, but when it finally hit me, I had actually. I had actually been on a, a rotary trip to Australia and New Zealand. And uh-huh. so so I was completely out of my mm-hmm. routine for like five weeks on this rotary trip to Australia. And then I had two weeks in New Zealand on my own. And when I was there, there I met this woman that... All of a sudden, I just I just had this overwhelming crush on her, mm-hmm. and it and I and I and I then it, and it finally you know it finally hit me. It's like oh my gosh, this is it. You yeah. know? <laughs> it's official. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, and this explains it all. You know, and You're I, right. I and, you know, but then I so then I was there by myself. I mean, I wasn't by myself. I was with a small group of people, but but actually, our leaders were were hardcore fundamental religious pe- I mean there was nobody to talk to there about yeah, the, the, it that didn't solve that problem yeah this revolution <laughs> yeah, right. so a uh, so a revelation so I uh, I just or revolution yeah yes, right exactly it, yeah. <laughs> uh, but but then when I came back and got into my routine again in Texas uh, that's when I had to you know start to come to grips with it or whatever and and figure out what that meant and it wasn't too long after that it, like I said it was probably a year, a year and a half. Um, then after that, that, that I moved to, to Gainesville, and that's when then it really started happening for me. So
0: wow, it's so it, that even that part of the story, in and of itself, is so fun because sometimes we do have to go away from things to really understand them and then come back you know yeah, it's, to get just, that
1: perspective
0: right and, and get the perspective get out of your own habits and ways of thinking sometimes it's really interesting how things big and small can develop that way when we can get some distance from them yeah
1: well as you know i mean just in my regular life i really enjoy international travel because right. i really I think it challenges you that way in, mm-hmm. in so many ways. Mm-hmm. forces you to get out of your comfort zone and to think about how other people in the world see things. And I think that's that's really valuable in all aspects of life. So Right.
0: Absolutely. That's so true. Speaking of perspective, so you had um, reminded me of the statistics that we talked about at the show, which um, I actually got from um, an adult seminar um, at United Church of Gainesville. And these statistics... Um, Are from a study at the National Center on Family Homelessness and uh, there's just a few that I'm going to read here and then maybe we'll talk about this a bit so there are 1.6 million homeless youth under 18 in America just in general and then 43% identified as lesbian gay and bisexual 40% identify as transgender 90% Of those youth left because of harassment, bullying, and family rejection. 75% report physical, emotional, or sexual abuse. So um, on top of that, just the attempted suicide rate in the U.S. for the general population is right below 5%, but for lesbian, gay, and bisexual, 12 to 20%. And for the transgender community, 41%. And if they are another minority, such as Asian-American or African-American, on top of also being transgender, the rates are 50% or higher. And when you say in your story, there's, you say a line about being that you really, the goal is to become a whole and integrated being. I love that thought because I think so many people can relate to the desire for their life to feel that way, whole and integrated. And then I think if we look at statistics like this, it shows us how far away from that desire and that goal people are in our community, people very close to us.
1: Yeah, it's, um, I mean, we are really lucky to have Um, you know, several churches in Gainesville that that really are very welcoming or whatever. So there's places that, I mean, I I think, you know, one of our other storytellers at the Coming Out show, I thought, spoke very, very poignantly about, you know, what it was like for her to be a a youth leader in a a conservative church. And yet, and she did that by day, and then by night, she was on the, the internet as an alternate persona that was more reflective of who she really was and how you know, how torn up she was about that. And um That's right. I, you know, and that's that's I, I think that, you know, lots of lots of kids aren't even able to do that and so they end up being some of the statistics that, that you've cited and it and it's and it's really sad and and particularly I think I mean I feel sad that when it's when it's the churches that are doing that to them,
0: I know it feels like the ultimate irony and backfire, right, yeah. of what is meant to be a supportive and loving community, or is intended to be in my, in our minds, I think. Yeah, exactly, yeah.
1: exactly. Yeah, and then, and then to have that, um, to, to have the churches do that, and you know, I can, I mean, when I was when I was sitting in the pews in the church that I grew up in 50 years ago, like I said, there there was no, there was no support. There for my for help on my journey. but I can understand that fifty years ago. people's our whole understanding of I can forgive it, I guess, <laughs> our whole understanding sure. of sexual orientation and gender identity and expression and you know, scientifically and biologically and all that was was very different then. but but today, in this this time, it's to me, it's a lot less forgivable of denominations that still continue to to press this, um, you know, the anti-gay agenda or whatever, um, you know, and how how just how sad it is for kids that are growing up in those churches.
0: That's right. It feels so um, antiquated. I mean, it just, and, and it must be very confusing to be aware that there are other churches and communities that are accepting of it, but then you happen to go to a church that isn't supporting you, and it's like, well, how do, how do you reconcile that? I mean... Yeah. It's
1: so painful and confusing. Well, it is and, and I'll tell you even for me, like I said at the at the age of 65, I mean, the church that I grew up in, um my great-grandfather gave the land for the church. Um well, yeah, it, it was it was very um it was it, it was one of the historic pacifist churches and I really came of age during the Vietnam War and mm-hmm. so their protests against the war and all that were very instrumental in my career choices mm. and just who i became as in my interest in social justice and all and yet when i go back to that church today um the that church you know will not rec- would not recognize my marriage and they have a practice of removing from the ministry any minister that would would dare perform a same-sex marriage right and so it is and it's just you know again i can I can deal with that, but but you know I certainly don't. I do, certainly don't. I feel like a second class citizen there. Put it that yeah. way, you know. And it's and it's and it's sad for me because of all my history there and what that church meant to me as a youth. But it's like you know. Okay, I guess I'm. I guess I'm not as welcome there now.
0: Right. It's yeah. I just and the 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 disconnect there. It's like it feels very human. Um, sort of like the darker side of human psyche and behavior to be able to think that we can choose sort of who who belongs and who doesn't. yeah you know and that that's a very strange mental space to, to think about and
1: that we're just not um, we're not as always as understanding as we would yeah. like to think we are. I don't yeah. know yeah and, and, and that being said, I mean I was really one of the lucky ones because when I came out, I mean my family was very supportive and, yeah and um, my my uh, even my 80 year old, Grandmother, I mean, absolutely learned to love Anne. She said to me at one point, um, "You know, I didn't, I didn't want to learn to love Anne, but I couldn't help it. Aww. You know, you know, which is that's awesome. <laughs> it was really yeah. sweet, you know. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. And and uh, my sister at one point told me a really funny story. Um, the uh, she was she was riding in the car, and I have a, a niece who's now graduated from college, but my niece was, I don't know, five or six or something at the time, and she was in the back seat with one of her girlfriends, and they were talking and and about and my, my niece said to her little girlfriend, Well maybe someday we can get married and and by that age her girlfriend had already said to her, Oh no, no, no. Only only boys and girls mm, can get married. Mm-hmm. And my niece said back to her, Oh no, oh no. Um, my Aunt Karen is double girl married <laughs> It's just and, the cutest thing. And so so, <laughs> so when a- Ann and I actually got married, we uh, we actually were pronounced a double girl double gr- m- married. So.
0: Really? Yeah. Is yeah, that right? Yeah, I don't a, remember that part. yeah, that is yeah so, so good. Yeah, so, that's anyway. the cutest thing. <laughs> double girl, it, it's an official title at this point. Yeah, yeah. right. Exactly. That is so cool. Yeah, and, um, and sometimes the perspective from kids, like I know from talking to my own kids, their perspective on... How, uh, the things that, that adults just kind of mess up. They have really <laughs> yeah. beautiful unfiltered you right. know, thoughts right. on them. It's great. Right. Double girl. <laughs> it's just the cutest. Um, so speaking of social justice, I actually also wanted to ask you about, it, it's cool, Karen, for me to think back about like, yes, we know each other actually through UCG, but kind of kind of, even like before that, in a funny way, through the Mommy Reads program. Right, so right. Since you mentioned the church that you grew up in and social justice, will you tell people, kind of give them context on that project that you're a huge part of? Oh, absolutely. Uh, you lo- weren't expecting that. This no, just uh, came to me. Oh, uh, yeah. uh, great. Well, no, I, I
1: love to talk about Mommy Reads. Though. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, no, for about um, six years now, um, th- through the United Church of Gainesville, We've been doing this mommy reads program, and what we what we do is we um, uh, people may or may not be aware, but the whole Lowell prison complex is down um, south of here, just between Reddick and Ocala. So, you know, less than 45 minutes away is um, is as a complex is probably the the largest women's prison in the, in the United States, and and as far as we know, maybe even the world. And so there's somewhere between three and four thousand women that are there. Um, But what we do um, at UCG is we um, collect children's books um, ranging from infant to uh, young adult. And then we take the books down there and we record uh, mothers and grandmothers um, reading the books to their their children and grandchildren. And then we transfer the recordings to a little MP3 player. And then they have a chance to write notes or whatever. We have stationery for them and all. And then we package it all up and we send an MP3 player and the books and the state the notes and all that to their their kids and grandkids on the outside so they can have mom or grandma reading them a story.
0: It's just it's just the coolest program and to hear the sort of the you know the comments or I was going to call them reviews I don't know if that's right but how it's how it impacts the uh, mothers and grandmothers I think it's easy to think about like oh well of course the kids are excited but what it does for the women is just so powerful.
1: Yeah, it's. Um, I mean, a lot of those women are are in poverty, and so and so they that might be the only gift they get to give their kids right. all year. Right. Um, and so and then you know and they can emphasize the importance of reading. And I mean, we've had women that that we always give them a chance to give a personal message to their kids too. And so sometimes. Sometimes people will sing. Sometimes they'll tell them, "Oh, I picked this book for you because I read it when I was a child." Or, right. you know, oh. it's just. Um, and and we always we, we learned after the first visit, we also had to get permission from the prison to, to bring in boxes of tissues, and that's yes, that's for both seems appropriate both both the 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 women there and for the volunteers. Um, and yeah. but it, we try to create a space in their life. Uh, we go there on a Saturday morning, and we try to create a space in their life for you know, at least a couple of hours where they they get to be, you know, women to women, you know, moms to mom, whatever, and and that's what they're about then and you know, maybe they can leave where they are behind for a couple of hours and so
0: Yeah, right. Creating that space for them and holding it. And that one of the one of my favorite comments that I've read from the feedback that you've shared with me um from the moms and grandmothers is one mother said, you know, I think My greatest fear, something along these lines, um, is that I will always be judged by my biggest mistake. Right. You know, and so she felt as if Mommy Reads gave her the chance to be a loving, caring mother, uh, which she is anyway. But like society may not see that because she's incarcerated. Right. Right. And so instead they're seeing her through her mistake. Um, And I feel like that's such a human statement where we can all relate um, and it's that same thing that you said about wanting to be a whole and integrated person.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, I would I would hate it if, if if I somebody took the worst decision I ever made in my life or the worst person I ever associated with, and that was the definition of my entire life. I mean, how different would my life be? Yeah. You exactly know? right you, for yeah. everyone. Right? Yeah. Exactly. And and yet that's often what we do with with people who are incarcerated. They're really a forgotten population. Uh, and so, you know, yeah, we, we feel, I, I know the volunteers, La and Marie's volunteers, we feel like we get much more out of it than we put into it, mm, just being yeah. able to associate with those women. So
0: That's so cool. Yeah, what a great project. And, and it's fun to remember that that's how... Um, this started, and then here you are doing this side of it, too. Yeah. So it's great, a different form of story. Uh,
1: you're, you, you can uh, you can talk anybody into anything, Taylor. So
0: <laughs> That's kind of scary, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it is. It's
1: very scary, yes.
0: <laughs> to use my powers for good. Yeah, uh, right. Yeah, let's hope, my, hope you do, yeah, yes. I, <laughs> I want to thank you for that, Karen, but it also sounded a little scary. <laughs> well, I'm glad that I was able to lure you into... Uh, this show, and I'm, I'm hoping there, there's more where that came from. Um, it's just, it's just such a, a, pleasure to work with you in, in any way. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad that our community sort of brought us together, and, uh, um, yeah, this was just such a special show. So it's fun to have you back, and I get the, the. Uh, pleasure of hearing this story again, you know, oh. now all these other people will too, hopefully.
1: Yeah, well, thank yeah. you very much. It's, <laughs> it's it's really been fun. And, and it's, I, I guess I would say to other potential storytellers, you, I'm sure everybody has at least one good story in them. Yes. And, and, uh, and, and it's, it's, it's really worth it to stretch yourself and, uh, and get up there and do it. It was a lot of fun.
0: Thank you. Thank you for saying that. That's really cool. We're, we're really using this as a recruiting tool, this whole thing. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Karen. Um, Yeah, thank you for being here and thank you to everyone who's listening. And we do hope that you're inspired through this recording. Um, This has been the Unvarnished podcast with WUFT News and Guts and Glory GNV. I'm Taylor Williams, your host, and we will see you next time. Thanks for joining us.